Hey, welcome to the first episode of Cash.dev is inspired by a bunch of the great bootstrapping podcasts out there where a couple of different founders chat every week about what they're working on, what problems they're running into, solutions holding each other accountable. Jacob Hide and I will give updates about what we've been working on each week and what we're going to commit to for the next week. We don't know what else it'll be yet. Come along for the journey while we figure it out. I'm not exactly 100% sure what the focus of our podcast or even our weekly like mastermind is. AI hot takes. True. <laughs> Definitely some AI hot takes. Wait, I sent you a text a few weeks back, which is essentially it's just like how to how to play certain games where we get to financial freedom faster than normal. Yeah. There is a financial aspect of it for sure. Wait, yeah, I tried to make that sound good for the podcast. Because that's why we were just talking about business, right? Like any kind of business. You know, like Ponzi schemes. We do talk about crypto every once in a while, so. I don't think we've ever talked about a Ponzi scheme. We're doing updates. So like, uh, Jacob, let's let's do some updates. Yeah, sorry to to cut you off there. I'm doing a YouTube video a week. And basically, Hide is giving me prompts. He's given me enough. He's given me enough questions for a year's worth of content, which is good. <laughs> I'm the rate limiting factor. I do like one video a week. I, I figure that's fine. And then I did it and he did give me some excellent YouTube feedback to really, really good feed. So I'm going to keep trying to do those videos. And maybe I, maybe some people will watch. And then I, if I get a thousand views, I will be able to afford half of a Topo Chico. <laughs> So, does it has it let you like turn on the ads for monetization yet? I know YouTube. I think I'm, I think I'm probably three orders of magnitude away from that, or four. Gotcha. So one video yeah. a week, and then you'll be there. <laughs> and so Hide is also being kind of a customer for me. I'm building a company info API, and so originally Hide had given me you know a small laundry list of things that he wants to be able to get about a company like its revenue and employee can and I started to get those things um, and then you know run into the limits of what I could get for him so I'm going and like kind of like broadening my search I was getting all everything from the SEC I'm sort of an expert at getting data from the SEC but kind of like due to Hide's influence and then also AI influence I'm like really broadening my search so right today I was just doing kind of some standard web scraping from Wikipedia I've started to do some natural language processing and stuff. And I just kind of have this vague-ish idea about getting a company into API. And then you guys have both mentioned to me a couple of times to put it on Rapid API. Yeah. Is yeah. that the thing? And so I'm going to do that. I kind of nice. want to polish it a little bit more I and mean, have more of a story there. So that, yeah, so that's what I'm working on. That's what I'll keep working on. That's dope. I like it. I think the company API thing is like, there's a bunch of companies in this space, but they're all really expensive. And if you as a single person can come in and launch a good enough solution, you can definitely undercut them. And I, I definitely, part of my strategy is to be a low cost producer. You know, data, data is definitely like a race to the bottom, right? Like if everybody's data is as good as anybody else's data, it's like a hundred percent commodity, right? doesn't matter. You get the same number, whether you ask Bloomberg or S&P or Roy. Yeah, I definitely want to be the low cost producer. And so I, I bear that in mind in my architecture. Yeah. yeah. And so that kind of relates to 
some other stuff I'm doing. This, this is probably getting into the weeds too. You know, I have this kind of philosophy where I could, I'm trying to build architect things where I'm avoiding creating databases, uh, which probably sounds crazy. It's kind of a, kind of an extreme experiment, but basically kind of just only fetch things lazily. But then I have this architecture where you can kind of like insert caching anywhere. And so it's like, if, if a particular thing needs to be cached, you know, then I just cache it and that the cache is kind of like implicitly a database. The system of record is like the SEC is the system of record. The Wikipedia is the system of record. Uh, you know, if something needs to get invalidated in the cache, I just invalidate it and it will go get it fresh. Yeah. And there's, there's, so I've got a lot of experience as a consultant and as a consultant, you see, there's a lot of overhead in operating databases, yep. you know, it's just teams of DBAs and it's like, oh, we got to do a schema change and it's like, oh, let's wait for the weekend and let's get so-and-so to sign off on that. It's just, so that all adds cost. And so I'm just, that's just, I know that's a bit of a, no, I like it though, but you're kind of changing the programming model a little bit of how a lot of people would tackle generally like a scraping problem. Like a lot of people would go scrape and then they would write the results to a database and then they would run that job using some sort of cron job. And like, you've kind of... Sorry about that. Hide is smiling. Hide is smiling. But you kind of like flipped that problem on its head a little bit. Like you you kind of just inverted your architecture, which is cool. Does the experiment work? I don't... Yeah. I don't know why it wouldn't. Like the the issue I could see is... If for some reason an underlying data source of you that you're using starts to like rate limit you, yeah. So I have uh, again, it's kind of a tangent, but I have uh, rate limiting and synchronization stuff, which even works across processes mm. on like a Windows system. I use uh, system level mutexes and semaphores and synchronization primitives, so like I can. Because I read into this with the running into problems with the SEC so the already, website, not the actual organization. <laughs> you get redirected to a page that's like your IP is going to get blocked if you. Holy uh, shit! The SEC charges just as much as Twitter for their API these days. I like the constraint that you get because essentially you're saying, "How do I create a great user experience and minimize on minimize on the coding?" Yeah, kind of the operations and the system system design, system architecture. Yeah. As lean as you can be, and it actually that, that could be your advantage in the cost model too. Besides just being a single person, your other advantage in the cost model can be like, hey, I'm, I don't have to like figure out how to scale storing information about every person in the world. I just need to instead map a process to get information on every person in the world. I have to, I have to go here. We have a kid's carnival thing at 5 o'clock. Oh. I go shower and go to that. Okay, go shower. <laughs> I'll catch the rest of this. I'll tune in on the podcast. So yeah. leave in really juicy stuff. The really juicy bits. Okay, will do. Bye, Jacob. Okay, yeah, hit me, hit me with your update. What are you working on? A, a quick TLDR of what you're working on, and then the update. Okay, TLDR. I'm helping AEs find decision makers at the right time. And then reach out to them using AI. I got platform risk a oh, couple of days ago. A Twitter API. 
Yeah. So what ended up happening was like, I used to have free access to 2 million tweets a month. Mm -hmm. Plus with the V1 API, which was released like years ago, I basically just had unlimited tweets to go through. And now they're saying that I have to pay a hundred dollars a month for 10,000 tweets total. So that's 20 X less, right? 200 X, 20 X. 200x. Yeah. Yeah. 200x plus basically unlimited tweets from the V1 API. I don't know what I'm going to do here. I think at this point, I'm just going to try to find a better data collection method. Basically, what I was telling Jacob was I can no longer ingest tweets in a way that scales past one person. <laughs> like, I can still make it work for one person. I was going to come across this problem eventually. Like, if, but I thought I would hit the problem after I had 10 customers. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially, what all the Twitter API does for me is that it lets me collect data like in a pretty quick way. So now I have to be a bit more clever about how I collect the data, which I'm thinking I might need to build a Chrome extension that just like every time, I don't know. There's Ooh, a lot of it. No, I like a Chrome extension idea because you can basically run this using other people's Twitter tokens then because they're logged could, in and you don't have to use your apps token. I actually... I have to look at that too and see if it, it'll work for ingestion as well. Yeah, it's definitely um, not an approved method of using Twitter, but like at this point, mm -hmm. if they're charging $420,000 a month for their API, yeah, just implement some other method. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I'm trying to think of built, I, I draw a lot of inspiration from built with in terms of product feature set. And like they have this Chrome extension that gives a lot of value really quickly and you just log into a domain and you can see like all of the technologies. Mm -hmm. I might make something similar where you go onto someone's Twitter profile and it automatically generates like outbounding messages for that profile, like with an extension. Yeah, I like <laughs> that. Cause you can just read the DOM, read their tweets. Yeah. And that would let me collect their tweets as well. Yeah. So that, that could be one way. It's kind of hard right now to figure out how to get around. Here. I like this a lot. Here's why. You're coming up with a novel solution at a time when everybody else's API access just got jacked through the roof. <laughs> so the, yeah. the value of this data just dramatically increased. And so you're looking for a solution at a time where this data is like impossible to get other ways, unless you like write your own basically. scraping or whatever. But basically, and essentially what I'm doing is trying to, I mean, Google Chrome works well. Google Chrome extension works well for this because, yeah, one, I can collect the data in another way. Two, it's a network effect, which is every person that uses that tool, it collects the data for other people to use yeah. the tool, essentially. So I might launch that as a, I'll probably launch that as a free feature just to see. I feel like that'll be product market fit-ish. You do think? Yeah, because hear me out. All, every AAE I know at Vercel, the first thing they ask is how do I figure out tech stack for this company or whatever and so there's just extensions we pass around hey this is the good one and then also like a lot of time is spent just debating how to approach different people and like this is a problem every ae has that does outbound and everybody's doing a little bit more outbound than they used to so it's a good time there too yeah yeah, it seems like theoretically it should work. It's just a product market fit is in the details. It's fair. Like, that's what I learned from like watching OpenAI. It's like GPT-2, GPT-1 was already very similar to GPT. Not very similar, but like it had a lot of power behind it already yeah. that developers can use. 
but it didn't hit product market fit until like we saw a chatbot and we saw the thing that it could actually do. And then everyone's using like the APIs now. Yeah. So like it, it was such a slight change because even like we saw Copilot months before we saw ChatGPT and everyone was like, oh, that's cool, but whatever. Right. Yeah. Cause it was, it was based on GPT three Copilot was and GPT three's Copilot experience at the moment. It, it's okay. But even mm-hmm. my current development flow right now, I don't use Copilot as much anymore because I literally just have a separate window open with ChatGPT now. Right. Where I'm asking Chat GPT four questions. And so Copilot X or whatever, when they actually like bring that into the IDE, I'm hyped for that. Whenever that I finally get access, I applied for the beta list there. You're right about like presentation matters a lot here. It's such a small detail. Like but if I was the product I guess that's what I'm getting at. I think a Chrome mm-hmm. extension for your tool that lives in the browser that's always there. Like here's an annoying thing about being an AE. You always need to be doing outbound, but you always are also focusing on the deals you're actively working on. Right. So you need to like balance your time. And so like a constant little reminder in your browser, hey, don't forget to outbound this week. Like that's going to be super useful. And you're like meeting people where they are. I want to, I also want to do it for sales navigator profiles, LinkedIn, regular profiles, and Twitter profiles. Cause that way, like you just click a button and it automatically generates an outbounding message. At the same time, we can also data collect on the sales navigator LinkedIn profiles and collect the data that way. I, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to build it. And when I do launch it, it's going to be free because it doesn't make sense to charge for data collection. So are you um, going to have to not use GBT? I guess you could use the 3.5 turbo model because it's pretty cheap. Yeah, I can use the tur- turbo model. It's four, I can use the turbo. Four is expensive though. Yeah. Is, I don't have access to four. Oh, I got yeah. access just the other. Oh, it's nice. Yeah, it, this wouldn't have been possible without GPT three. Yeah, I'm I'm torn between like caring. Do I need to have some core competence in okay. ML to have a defensible company, or can I just use no. OpenAI's API? And I think the answer is you're right. You can just use Open API OpenAI's API. The reason is. There's still so much software that needs to be built. Yeah. Like 10 years from now, maybe you need something else to be defensible because the cost of building software has gone down and down and down, which is, a, I think, is a good thing. I think it's good that the cost of building software is going down. Yeah. It might not be great for engineering salaries, but overall, it's phenomenal for the world and productivity and consumer surplus. I'm going to an AI meetup at six where the this you end up seeing the tweet it's like at the embarker it's like the pier 15 in san francisco with a hugging face ceo so not like a oh, tweet. Nice. like everyone's going so i'm gonna go see and check in on the vibe there and just exercise my curiosity and what everyone's thinking what everyone's working on yeah my my theory though is that nothing has really changed it's just technology right but like people especially people who work in startups there's two modes that you have to cross one you have to know you you have to be good enough to build anything like that you immediately see build anything and ship it mm-hmm. and I think at this point, we, all three of us in this mastermind had that. I did not have that the first couple of years, but I just built it over time. Yeah, I uh, agree. That was the same for me. And the second one is understanding competitive modes. It changes the product roadmap that you're making, just understanding business in general. And right now, it doesn't make sense to use GPT-3 in any... Yeah, you like, can't claim you're an AI company and just go build a wrapper around you can't. GPT-3. But what you can do is just build some other B2B SaaS and pull it in. And the same moats you were going to have anyway, you're still going to have it. And I think this is actually 
good for structurally thinking about a business is look, assume somebody could replicate all your code tomorrow. Exactly. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Assume it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, I listened to this new podcast with Adam Wathen and Ben, what's his last name? The Tuple guy. And they had, Ornstein. yeah, they had Jason Cohen on and they were talking about a talk that Jason Cohen gave in 2013. And he was talking about like businesses he likes, businesses he doesn't like, at least for bootstrapping. And the business he doesn't like for one that he doesn't like is what he called picking up pennies. And that's yeah. like similar to what we're talking about here. But the example he gave is, like, look, Etsy, they have such a good moat that they could open source their code overnight and it doesn't matter. Right. Someone could deploy a copy of it. It doesn't matter because Etsy, right. what Etsy has going for it is the like the network of loyal people. He actually said this wasn't a good business to get into as a bootstrapper. And I agree. But overall, the example is like, assume you open source the code. What is your competitive advantage still? Are you okay as a business? And if the answer is no, then AI might eat your lunch. And if the answer is yes, then cool. You've still got a business. It hasn't changed. And the reason is like AI does not create a better business mode, or at least the open AI's APIs don't, they enhance the features that you currently have. But we do know that the problems people are trying to solve is still the same problem. Like an SDR, a sales development representative who works at a company, their main thing is they're trying to book meetings. They're still like, no matter what functionality you put into a software, they're still just trying to book meetings. My takeaway from AI is as long as you still focus on the problem and not the tech, you're still in a good spot. Actually, you want to switch topics a little bit, though. When we're talking about business models in general, because we talked about, we don't have to, I want to say bare metrics, but I don't, <laughs> I know this is being recorded. Oh, yeah. No, we, that thread went pretty viral and a lot of people have commented on it. Because if you think about, okay, I'll just say bare metrics, but I won't say, <laughs> just edit this out. If you think about how well he did, like for himself versus how well the business did, it's like a little, counterintuitive because you think he was doing like 1 million plus AR or his business was doing like 1 million plus AR. I mean, it's a B2B bootstrap business. That's like an amazing position to be in, right? Mm -hmm. Like that, that is, if B2B SaaS is a base hit, that's the base hit completed, right? Executed. Yeah. But like he was operating at break even the whole time. So he wasn't able to like collect any profit for himself. So basically all of the like all of the money just came from the acquisition or his exit. If you go listen to Patio 11, Patrick McKenzie with some of the stuff he said, like that's essentially how most bootstrapped SaaS ends up working. If you're growing it to an exit, that's how it's going to work. If you're growing it for a lifestyle business, that's a different thing. But most of the money Patrick McKenzie made from bingo card creator, that like first thing that he's known for, most of it came from selling it. And I Wait, think that's almost really, yeah, I think that's almost always true is like most of the money you will make, because if you're prioritizing growth and you're investing money back into the business, you're making money. You're just making it in the form of the equity you own in that company is becoming more valuable. Interesting. Okay. Isn't there an avenue where you can just take a lot of profit? Yeah, but you're by taking profit, you're actually hurting the long-term growth of your business. So say you have a mechanism that lets you spend $300 and acquire a customer. Well, given how SaaS valuation works, let's just say you're in the crappy market like today and the multiple is still three to five X. 
If you can spend $300 to get a customer, but your lifetime value of that customer is say, I don't know, $1,000, then you should spend the 300, take a thousand, multiply, let's say you, it's a thousand a year, just to make the math easy. Take mm -hmm. that a thousand, multiply it by five. That is worth, that's what the valuation of your company would be at exit. And if you take the 300 versus 5,000, well, that's clear math. It's a good idea to spend the $300. And so if you take money out of a business, you get taxed, right? So like you as an individual, you get taxed. And but, like, I'm not saying you shouldn't pay yourself a salary. You should actually like, I think if you're running a business, you should probably pay yourself a market salary. Sure. And then after you pay yourself a market salary, if what you're trying to do is make money, you should invest it in growth. If your North Star isn't make money, then yeah, live a lifestyle business, pull some cash out, live how you want to live. But overall, if you have a machine that makes you money, you should dump every dollar you can into it. Okay, but like my, what I'm looking at when I say like the profit versus growth trade-off is essentially like Peldy, like he grew, what was it called? Not Did balsamic. He, yeah, balsamic. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know how much, uh, how well they're doing, but he pulls a million dollars every, is or he, he pulls 500k every he, six months. Is he public with that? Yeah, yeah, okay. he said that. <laughs> I was like, do I need yeah, to yeah, leave this I, out? No, I checked, I checked. He said that. Yeah, he pulls a million dollars. He said in a talk uh, a year. You can totally do that. He, that's great what he's saying there though by pulling a million out what he's saying is i don't have a growth lever that i'm confident if i put more money in the roi comes out or maybe he's never thinking of selling if you're never thinking of selling and you just want to ride this business into the ground until you die or the business dies yeah then what's a valuation who cares your valuation doesn't matter and i think that's a that's totally that's a good way to run a business too is know yourself know what you want that's like the healthiest way to do it Right. I guess what I'm talking about is if you're just trying to maximize a function, it can mean go spend money on ads. It can also mean invest in growing the product, like change the product's functionality, hire some engineers, hire some product folks, do some user right. research. Like when I say invest, spend money, I'm not just talking about Google AdWords. That makes sense. Yeah. Like maybe you can attack a bunch of different markets. Yeah. But yeah, he seems pretty chill. Oh, like that's, with his that's the lifestyle. Light, you know? so. If you can do that, the question you have to ask yourself is why not? I think there's a lot of people who ego. Yeah, it, it is ego. But if you can pull a million cash out of a business and own the whole thing yourself, still too. If you're happy with the work and you don't want to just go sit on a beach, and even then you could just go sit on a beach. You, you have to ask yourself like, why do we have to maximize everything? But actually, Robin is in the sample chapter of his new book. He's like talking to people who raise VC versus did bootstrap and they both did really well. It turns out like you can get rich a lot quicker if you do VC. Oh yeah. Because if you hit like your hit rates really low, but if you hit, yeah, you you immediately have people wanting to buy parts of your company. And as the founder, you can definitely do secondary. VC's point is to massively accelerate everything. And what you're basically doing is in that equation we were talking about earlier of making investments, you're basically just pouring money on those investments, even though the ROI doesn't make sense yet. And the reason you're pouring money into those is because you're pretty sure at some point the math will work. And that's, that is VC. It's the same. That is gambling. It's gambling. Oh yeah. It's a hundred percent gambling. Anybody who tells you it's not gambling is like, even the stock market, people who day trade stocks, that's gambling. It's just fancier name. Okay. Um, to be fair with day trading stocks right now, the FANG stocks are fluctuating. So you can't day trade reliably. That's fair, but still gambling. 
it's just legal in every state versus versus other types of gambling. Yeah, that's my two cents. Did we get like an actual what Jacob is going to do for the week out of him? No, oh, no, we didn't. Okay. We just got what, an update. What, what is your update, Drew? What is your update? So I've been working on a project called SoloSync. SoloSync is an easy way to get data outside of Salesforce and into Notion. Think of it mm -hmm. as like an opinionated Zapier that does one thing, but it does it really well. So I've written all the Salesforce code, the Notion code, and maps it up. The reason this is important, if you've ever worked in engineering and tried to talk to sales, they might have sent you a weird Salesforce link and you're like, what the hell do I do with this? And, and then if you work in sales and you've ever tried to send engineering a link to something and you, you've probably asked yourself a question like, wait, you don't have a Salesforce account? And then now you're just stuck in these two silos and your teams can't really talk to each other. This happens at a bunch of go-to-market teams. What I've been working on is actually getting in Salesforce's app store. It's called App Exchange. That has taken a little bit of time because basically I, I wrote a bad version of the plugin first. I've made it much better so that Salesforce will actually approve my code now. It's not as hacky and it's not breaking a lot of their rules, which I previously was. So I've got my first customer not paying me any money, but they'll give me feedback. And that's important. After I'm on App Exchange, though, I think the kind of customers will, will at least I'll start having sales calls because that'll get me a bunch of recognition. And then I need to do some content marketing around this, too. I ran a bunch of Google ads to like see if I could buy traffic. And I was actually able to get quite a few people to come, but a lot of them came from YouTube ads. I just ran like a smart ad where it let Google decide which property it ran it on and stuff. And 80% of the traffic was coming from YouTube. So I think there's a lot of people on YouTube who are trying to figure out how to do this. And so I want to make a little tutorial video like using, using SoloSync and showing how to do it. And then I've been working on the application in Salesforce, but I haven't actually pressed the submit button because it requires like an architecture diagram and all these security and compliance oh. docs. I literally had wow. to go get an LLC because they won't let you apply unless you're like, what is your business's formal name or whatever? And I was like, wait, do I have to do that? If you need a Salesforce to get into the Salesforce app. Just an integration. With Salesforce? Yeah. You might need an LLC. It, they're like, their <sighs> form is like when I was filling it out, it like assumed I was like a 30 person company. And I'm like, look, <laughs> why would you assume that? <laughs> I'm just Drew. But yeah, I, so I, I, that's why I have an LLC now is literally because their form was like, look, what's, what is your company's EIN, employer identification number? Oh, hell no. And I was like, that's like a lot of times it will say your tax identification number, which in that case, it means you as an individual can put your social, like your social is fair game there. But an EIN is not fair game for a social. So, they, and it's a required field. And I was like, hey. I guess I'm a business now. <laughs> I just put one for number one. <laughs> yeah. Solo sync. Number one. <laughs> They're like, who is this? <laughs> yeah. Damn. That's exciting, man. It sounds like, so it sounds like the coding is done and now the business meeting just needs to happen. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, that's what I'm up to. Did we, did you commit any action items? Jacob got off the oh, hooks man. since he left. I didn't you I didn't even, I didn't even get my action items done for the last week or the week. Before. Just commit to the same action item said. I think this, I have, I'm heads down hacking mode because I'm trying to figure out a new data collection method that's not using the Twitter API. That's definitely like priority number one. Yeah.
because without it, the whole thing dies. So I think I will one explore the STR market and see if this is something that they want to use. I really like your idea of an extension. I'll send you that code that I owe you because I hacked an extension together before. That'd be cool. Okay. It's pretty bad cool. code though. Just like <laughs> fair warning, I have no idea if this is the right way to share state in, in Chrome extensions because there's like a background and a foreground process. Uh-huh. I like I'm doing some very weird stuff to share state between. It's so it sounds like your main thing is just do you have a way to get data again now that Elon has screwed you with the API? Yeah, I got platform risk by the world's richest man, which, okay. Yeah, I was going to say expected. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I like your solution now, though. Yeah, that's, that's the end of the podcast. And that's a wrap.